Manitobaville, the podcast, is brought to you by Rodeo Road Studios. Hang on to your hat. We're here with Scott Craker, and he is a musician down in Woodridge, and he's making his way by recording music, taking photographs, being artistic, and uh, just being your average Manitoban. (laughs) Yeah, sounds about right. to expand your small business's marketing reach? Well, now you can take off by telling your story on Manitobaville, the podcast. Give your small business a boost and take off with a professionally produced podcast interview. Sharing your story has never been easier. Introduce yourself to future clients by sharing your Manitobaville podcast experience. You can speed up client acquisition, you can onboard clients faster, and you can save time and money. The takeoff package includes a 30 to 45 minute professionally produced podcast interview, three custom host read commercials provided by you, a limited marketing campaign through Rodeo Road and Manitobaville social media, a promotional code so your clients can take advantage of special offers, and it costs only $499.99 plus GST. Terms and conditions apply. Supplies limited. Price subject to change. Visit manitobaville.ca to get started today and email us at howdy at rodeoroadstudios.ca and watch your small business take off. How you doing, Scott? I'm doing all right. It's uh, finally the weekend. It's been a very busy week, so I'm kind of happy to have a couple of days of just uh, chillaxing, working on some music. My goal is to uh, start working on this first song that I got going for the new album that I'm working on. I got a new computer a couple of weeks ago, and it's all set up, and it's it's great because I finally have a computer now that can do everything I need it to do without hesitation, without hiccup. And I don't have to fight technology to create art. And that's a, a big thing for me because I've always had a computer that can do some stuff or it's slow and can't handle all the software that I needed to, to do or want to do. Um, so I'm always kind of fighting technology. And it's been that way for as long as I can remember. Um, so this time around when I needed to get a new machine, I decided I'm going to sell a bunch of guitars and a bass guitar and some microphones and generate some good amount of money that I can get a machine that does everything I need it to and there's no more limitations on the on the technology front so now it's just turn it on and start making music and so far it's going awesome because I'm finally now able to use a new um, recording software I wasn't able to use because my old Mac just wasn't powerful enough to run it and uh, it's awesome it's like just start making music there's no fighting (laughs) <laughs> oh, I have to figure this out. I have to figure that out. It's like, no, I just drag and drop a drum beat in there. It's like, it's there. And I'm now I got my guitar plugged in and I'm making, I'm recording. And it sounds amazing. And it's like, and I'm just in this early stages of 
of putting the foundation of the first song together. So it's really exciting. It's inspirational is what it is. And I need that inspiration to really get the creative ball rolling. Yeah. There's nothing like a faster computer to really excite the mind in a way. And it's well, like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and it's like it's, the maturing uh, of a musician is usually when your gear can match your talent and you, you start taking roadblocks out. Cause that's forever. That's People are like, well, if I had a faster computer, well, get it. Well, I need the money. Well, how do you get the money? Well, I need the faster computer. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's, it's catch 22. It's, it's catch 22, yeah. right? L- luckily I had a few guitars laying around that were not like, I can't sell them kind of guitars. They're the guitars yeah. that I had. They're really nice, but they were collecting dust. Cause I have my main guitars that I play. And these ones were just hanging on the wall and, um, so yeah. I'm like, yeah, I can get rid of this stuff and and put it towards something that will actually get a lot of use. And um, are you, are you going to dedicate your new album to those guitars then? <laughs> actually, I'd like to. I would like to thank the sacrifice of these th- these guitars. They sacrificed their their worth. <laughs> yeah. For this album, yeah. That's right. Yeah, on. no, I got I got like four guitars that are, that are, that I I don't actually need more than that. I got two, three nice electrics and an acoustic. What kind of gear? What kind of guitars? Uh, well, I play seven strings, so I have been playing seven strings since 97, believe it or not. Okay. When, when a lot of people didn't even know what a seven string was or that it, they even existed. Um, there was only a few bands back then that were using seven strings. A band that by the name of Dream Theater, which is a progressive metal band, one of the, one of the world's uh, biggest pr- prog bands out there. Mm-hmm. Um, he started using seven strings on one, one of their earlier albums, and that's that's really what got me hooked onto the seven string sound because it has an extra lower string. So it'd be like you know like a really low tune guitar kind of sound, but you're not actually having to tune all the way down to get the, there. You just have the extra lower string to do it. Right. Um, so I fell in love with that tonal range, and yeah, I ordered my first seven string in '97, and I've been a seven string player ever since. Um, so I got three, I actually got four Ibanez seven strings, two electrics and two acoustics. One's a classical seven string and the other one's just a normal steel string acoustic. And then I got my two really nice electrics. And then I got my first ever guitar. It's a brand called Vantage. If anybody's listening, knows that brand. They were kind of a, a budget brand back in like the late 70s and 70s and 80s. You could, probably could buy the guitar brand new for like 300 bucks or two, 250. They weren't horribly expensive but they were very well made japan guitars that hold their own till today in my honest opinion i've had this guitar all along in the last few years i put some money into it by upgrading uh some of the hardware and um some of the electronics and it'll compete with any five thousand dollar gibson in my opinion is that the Uh, wood like you you like the woodwork or the uh the, the wood it's made out of the tone it gives yeah, it's it's just it's got like a mahogany and um, maple combination. Uh, the the pickups that are in it are still original from the original factory. And okay, so they just, in, yeah. they're just amazing. Like and the reason I I discovered rediscovered this guitar, it has sat in a case for many years because it's a six string. I didn't play it because I'm a seven string and I played mostly seven strings all the time. So I, it collected dust for a long time. To, stored it in a case i bought a nice pick a new pickup for one of my seven string guitars and i'm like and i was so like impressed with the pickup and i was checking out and then for whatever reason i brought out the six string guitar and, and plugged it in it's like 
oh my god, <laughs> these pickups in this old guitar are just as good as this high end pickup I just installed on a new guitar. And um, is that maybe so, because of the new amps now? Like you would have heard that guitar through older amps, and now the amps are different. You know, I think it's just uh, the older amps. Some like a lot of amps, like the ones we built at Rev, um, our amps kind of don't like especially on the metal amps we build we have the generator series they're not very forgiving so it kind of like what you put into the amp with your playing is what you're going to get back there's there's not really the type of sound that some amps have where they can be forgiving like they have a bit more of a squishier sound and a bit more muddier sound that that can actually mask or 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 hide some of your imperfect playing um but ours, ours are like you know, if 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 you have some challenges with your playing and you're going to hear it, which is also a great thing because when you hear it, you can then work to correct that. But if you're playing through an amp, let's say that mimics or, or masks some of your imperfections, then you're not knowing you're doing it, yeah. and so then you don't correct it. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, that, that's but, why I uh, say a lot of electric players. If you started on electric, then you can really tell how how you're doing by switching over to an acoustic for a while. Listen. Yeah, they are definitely very different beasts. If you can yeah. hear everything on the acoustic, maybe that you can't yeah. hear on the electric or it's treating it differently. Oh, so. it's, it's, it's interesting because there's kind of like on the acoustic, I can play with more strings ringing and more stuff because of the, the natural acoustics of the, of the strings vibrating. Whereas when they go through a pickup and you add distortion, yeah. a lot of other factors could come into play. So you can't, play the same kind of stuff on acoustic that you, or on an electric that you can on the acoustic as the distortion will just kill the sound so you have to play a little differently on both instruments for sure yeah um i always, I always, I always heard that yeah. it helped your uh, electric technique to to then play because you could be a little sloppier on electric without knowing it yeah yeah and that's that's the thing when i there was a there was a stretch there for about five years i actually didn't play any electric guitars i just played acoustic mm -hmm. and a friend of mine would hang out we could probably get together two or three times a week he also had a seven string acoustic and we would just jam for hours and so i you get a lot of dexterity and control on your playing for sure if you play a lot of acoustic because one one the strings are typically thicker mm -hmm. so they are harder to play the action is usually higher on an acoustic guitar than an electric, so you're having to press harder. Yeah. And so yeah, yeah, you have to put more effort into it to make it everything sound great on an acoustic. And uh that definitely translates when you pick up the electric because you're it feels like a toy sometimes by comparison, how much easier the electric is to play than the acoustic. Yeah. And how much lighter yeah. a touch you can get then. Yeah. Without trying, because you have the strength and the dexterity. And then that's, you can really, right. it's like a, it's like a, getting the sounds out in a, in a different way. It's more of a gentle touch to get these, I, what people tend to think are more violent sounds. It's not a violent action to get those sounds. You're not beating the guitar up. No, it's, it's, it's all in the gear that you're playing through. Yeah. And uh, with acoustics, though, there's a lot more focus on, on subtle things like, how you hold your pick, what kind of pick to use, how you attack the strings with your guitar pick, um, these and how you mute things and with your fingers and all this has effect on how the strings sound and ring. And it, it, believe it or not, where you pick yeah. on the string, you pick it closer to the bridge, you're going to get a much more uh, brighter attack, sharp attack kind of sound. And if you pick closer to the sound hole, it's going to be a rounder, softer, 
boomier kind of sound when you pick the string. Even if you pick it the exact same way with your with your hand, it'll sound different. So there's so much more dynamics that come into play, I think, on acoustic guitar than than on electric. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. you can really hear that with the flamenco, some of the flamenco players, a lot of the classicalists, a lot of the, uh, yeah, because a lot of the um, ethnic, like where they come from in different parts of the world, how they hear music and how they play it. It's like, yeah, that's, it's a that's dynamic instrument. It is. I love acoustic guitar, so I'm hoping to incorporate more of the acoustic guitar on the next album. I have a bunch of pieces that I've written on the acoustic, and uh, the guys that I'm working with on the Scott Craker Project uh, album is they're just immensely talented people, um, and I just can't wait to see what they're all going to bring on this next album because the first album blew my mind when you know because I have I've, I'll mention the I should probably introduce the guys on the album. So there's Derek Kroll, he's a Winnipeg drummer. He's been a longtime friend of mine. Many, many years ago, I did an album in 2006, and he told me way back in the day, if you ever need another drummer, I'm your guy. So fast forward to a couple of years ago, I said, hey, do you still want to do drums? And he's like, absolutely. I'm like, hey, awesome. And then um, a mutual friend of mine who was in another band had, had this awesome bassist. And I went to go see them uh, at the Park Theater performing the band. Uh, the band's called Dizzy Mystics. Amazing okay band if you want to check them out um so i went to go see them play live at the park theater and i was just blown away by the bassist i mean the whole band blew me away but the bassist was like oh man this guy's awesome i said i gotta get this guy on my album <laughs> <laughs> but we weren't even facebook friends at this point um and it just happened that he sent me a friend request because we had such a large mutual uh, uh, uh mutual friends and then i made a post on facebook about uh, improv jam nights because improv is something I really really love it's probably the thing I live for the most when it comes to playing guitar is to be in a setting where you're jamming with guys and you're all improving and you're all just jiving and and it's and magic happens so I was talking about improv jam nights this is pre-covid and uh I was trying to I wanted to actually have like a monthly jam because I had everything I had the drums I had the bass I had but multiple guitars and amps, like no one really would even have to bring anything other than maybe their guitar and, and a couple of their favorite pedals or something. But other than that, they didn't even have to bring that if they didn't want to. Drummer didn't have to bring a drum set down. It was just all set up, mic'd up, ready to go. And it was a really nice yeah. high-end studio quality kit. So nice. it was not like a bunch of trash cans or anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, so then uh, I, he had commented on the, on the, on the thing about, uh, you know, wanting to, to get involved with that and i don't know what happened but we went to a private message and i started sharing him some of the songs i was working on because my my friend derek had maybe tracked about two or three songs at this point for me mm -hmm. and it was just me and him this, at this point like i was giving him material and he was adding drums to it so i shared it with Aaron, oh aaron bacon is is the name of the bass player amazing okay. winnipeg, winnipeg blades player yeah um so he uh i said shared a couple songs with him so he could check it out and then he's like He's like, do you need a bass player? <laughs> and I'm like, uh, yeah, I could definitely use a bass player. And uh, it turned out that Aaron and Derek have known each other also for a long time. And Aaron has, for many years, had been wanting to get involved with some kind of project with Derek because because he likes his talent and what he brings to the table. And it just never materialized until I came along and I'm like, I'm working with Derek and it's like, I need a bass player. And so, yeah, so Aaron got on board and now we had the three of us and it, it was just magic. Like the very first song, 
on the albums called that we completed is, is um, Escaping Reality. It was the very first song that drums were put on, and it was the very first song that Aaron added bass to. And for all of the album, I gave Derek and I gave Aaron complete creative freedom to contribute what they wanted to the song. I did not even give them my versions with my drums that I had programmed and bass that I had recorded. I didn't even want them to be influenced by that. Yeah. I literally wanted to have them just whatever magic is, whatever they have, whatever their, it is. Their they impression of the sound. Yeah. Yeah. Their I wanted them. To, yeah. I wanted them to be part of the project in the sense that they, I'm not telling them what to do. Mm-hmm. So that they don't feel like, oh, I got to do, you know, I wanted them to feel as part of the project as much as possible. Even though I wrote the songs, I still wanted them to feel as much as part of it. So by giving them the creative freedom to do what they want, that was a big, a big thing for, for me. Because that, the energy that is, that is involved with that, it's positive mm-hmm. energy. And then you and build that on that. Fun. You're, you're yeah. building on a positive starting point, not a, they don't yeah. have to try and interpret what you've. You know, and then start and maybe get to where they're going. But yeah, you yeah. just jump ahead in the process. Now, from my perspective, it's amazing because these guys are very talented and whatever they're going to bring is, is going to probably be awesome. Mm-hmm. So it's like a, it's, it's like Christmas, like a kid waiting for Santa <laughs> to drop his presents because I don't know what they're doing. Like Derek will tell me, yeah, I'm working on your song this week. And it might take him, you know, three or four days to get through the writing and recording process because he has his own studio set up. Mm-hmm. Same with the bassist and same with uh, Paul, who I'll mention shortly. Um, they all have their own abilities to, to the, record at home. The new world, eh? Yeah. So it was like a kid at Christmas time waiting for Santa to bring the presents whenever they would send me what their, what they had added to the song. And I get to hear it for the first time. Sometimes I would be right off the gate. I'd be, oh, my God, this is unbelievable. Sometimes I'd be going, oh, what was he thinking? And then I listened to it a couple of times. I'm like, oh, now I know where he's, I get it. It's like, you know, there was a couple of songs where I, it wasn't, I didn't quite understand because it was a, such a different drum beat or something than I would have programmed because I'm not a drummer. I don't think like a drummer. Yeah. Um, I can program drums that a drummer can play. I can think in that re- respect of, you know, you only have two arms and two feet. Yeah. I'm not going to program a drum drum beat that you'd need three drummers to physically play it. But I still don't have the creative juices like Derek has when it comes to coming up with ideas and drum patterns and the real drums performance. Just it's not even comparison to what I had programmed. And so yeah. it was like, sometimes he'd have some pretty unique ideas and, uh, and that stems from me giving him the full creative freedom to do what he wants. Wow. And I, I, I love the results we got. And yeah, I can't, I can't wait to see where this, it's probably going to be a couple of years before this next album's done, but really, the, eh? process, yeah. the process is a, is a, is a long process. I have to write the songs then I got to send it to Derek yeah. or Aaron or Paul. Paul's also on this album. Paul Lavassier, um, he played some piano and cello on my album for a couple of songs. Mm. He's an absolutely brilliant, uh, classical musician. He's, um, you know, like he's, I think he's got a degree in compositional music theory. He's scored orchestras and film scores and all kinds of stuff. So he's wow. like immensely talented and an absolutely phenomenal cello player as well. Um, I sold him a guitar on Kijiji years ago before I even started <laughs> at Rev, which actually led to me working at Rev. I can elaborate <laughs> on that further. Um, but yeah, he, I sold him a guitar and we became friends on Facebook. 
And, you know, we chatted about gear a lot. Mm-hmm. And at some point I needed, to, I was getting out of acoustic and getting back into electric. Um, and so we're talking about amplifiers and the, I hadn't even heard about rev amplification at this point because it was a small Manitoba based company back then. They had maybe sold maybe, you know, maybe a few hundred amps total by this point. And they'd been around for four or five years. So it's, it, uh-huh. they weren't huge yet. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I was looking at a Mesa Boogie, you know, to some of the big brands and I was looking at another smaller brand of the States. And I was talking to him, Paul about the in chats, like, Hey, he's like, Hey, you should check out this company called rev. And so then long story short, I got into rev amplification. But, um, <laughs> when, when we got, we became friends at some point over the years, Paul mentioned that, uh, he'd be interested in adding material or, or, or contributing or being part of my next solo project. Cause I, I gave him a copy of my first solo album when, when he, when we did the, when I sold him the guitar and I guess he really liked it. Um, so yeah, fast forward, the album was pretty much all done and written and recorded. I think maybe a couple songs were still left, but it was pretty much all done when I bugged him. Cause he's a busy guy and I bugged him. I say, hey, do you still want to contribute some piano and stuff to this, to this album? Cause I had the one song called five by five is an acoustic song that, my buddy of mine had recorded one evening here in my living room. It's a song I'd wrote. And I've had that recording for a number of years. And I've always wanted to do something with it, but it was just two guitars at this point. So it's like, it sounded cool on its own, yeah. but it was, it was a, a seven minutes of acoustic. And it was like kind of structured in a way that could have vocals and such over top, but there was none. So the song didn't feel complete. So I gave it to Paul's and put it in his hands and, and I don't know if it was about a week or two later that he sent me what he had done to it. It it blew my mind because he he wrote piano parts, he wrote uh, multiple cello parts and layered them all and the end result is a song that just was way beyond what I could have ever imagined. And so I'm very excited that he's going to be more involved on the next album. Instead of just being on a couple songs, he's going to be on most of the songs, whether it's going to be piano or cello or even synth pads, something in that capacity. This episode of Manitobaville, the podcast, is sponsored by Antiquarian Objects, the legend of Manitoba, and your friends at Rotary Road Studios, marketing mavens of the digital range, podcasts, videos, TV, digital media, marketing, analytics, and more. Visit us today at rodierroad.ca. Rodeo Road Studios. Hang on to your hat.
what is your what is your influences then like with your music because it, it seems to vary a bit but uh but what's your I core influences early on before i got into guitar i and i still now even today one of my favorite artists believe it or not would be john fogarty okay um i grew up on ccr and had the greatest 20 hits on a track in the house <laughs> and i you know i probably wore that thing out i've seen him live three times absolutely incredible performances um, I just love his sound, his style, his music writing, everything about him. I, I love, but but realistically, influencing me on guitar, I would definitely say Metallica, Megadeth. You know, I was big into that in the in the '90s. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some some other harder bands like Slayer and Testament. I didn't learn a lot of their stuff, but it was definitely listened to a lot, so it would definitely have influenced me. Um, but then I got into some punk too at some point, like you know. Uh, the offspring yeah I, I like the offspring they're kind of a punky band i was yeah. into some no doubt you know they're kind of a ska slash punk band um then i got into one of my ultimate favorite bands is a band called paradise lost they would be classified as like a doom metal uh <laughs> they've been around for years and years and years they're out of the uk they probably have you know 13 or 14 albums already i would say they're a big influence of mine um dream theater for sure the prog band I mentioned earlier, John Pertucci is the guitar player in that band. And I would mm-hmm. say he's probably an integral influence of mine. And then I was big in some of the, what they call the Neil, the Neil classical shredders, like, uh, Ingwe Malmsteen is a, a guy who plays a lot of neoclassical metal kind of music. Mm-hmm. Um, Jason Becker is another phenomenal guitar players player back in the day. Yep. Uh, so yeah, that kind of stuff. Um, and then I may even get into stuff like uh, Lorena McKennett, if you're familiar with who mm-hmm. she is. Yep. He's, uh, her music is amazing. And I've seen her live too, and it was an incredible uh, experience. And so a bit of a bit of a variety, I, but I'm not too much into the mainstream pop and the mainstream rock and the main, mainstream stuff. A lot of it to me is very formulated and very structured to all kind of sound the same. Yeah. So I like, I like the stuff that ventures you know, off the main path sometimes. and Well, that's the funny thing, because you said earlier you you like to do, uh, like, the jamming where it's, it's free form, but it's with metal. Yeah. And and I, I think that's the first time I've ever heard somebody say they like free form metal, because to me, metal is a lot of unison. It's a lot of, like, structure, and it's a lot of, you know, so yes. so to, to take that structure away from and, and to keep the sound is just, uh, it's a little startling it, to me. That... It, it just... <laughs> It happened naturally. It was a band that I had there a couple of years ago, and we were an instrumental band, so we had a lot of instrumental songs, some of which I actually, a couple I used on my new album. When, when the band split, I took them and used them on the new album. But uh, we, we'd we have a tendency to, to work on our songs on a jam practice. Our jam practice was always about three or four hours long. The drummer had to drive out from Winnipeg, so mm-hmm. we would make it, make it worthwhile. Yeah. Um, and so we'd work on songs, but we always would break out into improv. I don't know how it just <laughs> happened. Someone's noodling on a riff, and another person starts adding to it, and then the bass player starts adding to it, and the drums come in, or it's whoever starts. It's somebody comes in, and then next thing you know, we're all we're moving down this path that is being generated as we move along. Yeah. No one is really looking at each other because we're so like in our zone and in the moment. You're just hearing it. Yeah, we're not like watching each other to see what they're playing. It's like we're just listening and just reacting. And it's such a cool experience because 
I play something, it influences everybody else what they're playing because we're all improving and making it up as we go along. So the the ability to change it up and do something different at any time is always happening. Um, but we're always changing based on what we're hearing, right? Yeah. So if I'm playing along something and the and, you know all of a sudden the drummer starts doing something different or the bassist starts doing something, I might start changing what I'm playing, and just this constant morphing thing that you know <laughs> it could it, it, it's usually pretty fun to listen to because. When you're improving metal, <laughs> yeah. it can train wreck very easily. Well, that's what I'm wondering because it must be a challenge to not stop. That's the thing because we we don't we don't have like hey let's start an improv and we start we just it just happens and yeah. it, you know, we we might jam for five minutes taking you on a on a journey through um, all the different changes we we throw at it a metal odyssey and then, yeah. yeah and then it was like hey you know we get to a point to where we got to stop. Or it sometimes it naturally stops nicely. We get a really nice ending. Sometimes it's a bit of a mm-hmm. things kind of fall apart at the end. But for the most part, our jams were pretty concise. And there's some that we listened to. There was like one of the first jams we had was like an 11 minute jam, and we we were going to relearn it, <laughs> re-record it, and put it on our new album because it was so amazing and had so many changes and so many moods and things like. And we literally made it up as it happened. And I'm like, we would have to take six months of hard work to write a song <laughs> like this yeah. and to get it to sound like that. And wow. we literally made it up as it happened. It, it, it's like, I don't know how, but we all had that, I guess that energy or that vibe that we just, we got along so well on the musical stage and it was just a lot of fun. So what was your first album called? That came out in 2006? Uh, Fata Morgana. How do you spell that? F A T A and then Morgana M O R G A N A. Um, what does that mean? It is an optical illusion that is supposed to be like if you see a ship on the horizon, but there's no ship on the horizon. Okay. Yeah. So it's an old, old term for basically meaning an optical illusion, and because if you see the artwork for my cover for that album, I you it's based on the. M.C. Escher's Impossible Triangle graphic, which is a triangle that's made up of three 90-degree corners. Mm-hmm. I don't know how it happened, but I used to do this random thing for fun when I was bored, and I would just sometimes go to Google Image Search, and I would just type in random letters and numbers. Okay. Nonsense. Just nonsense and hit search, and mm-hmm. just see what comes up. Yeah. Because everything in the sun sometimes might come up. And I was scrolling through this, and here comes this tiny little picture, which is the triangle that you see on my cover of my art, on a gray background and a couple of figures walking amongst the triangle, kind of like a really cool little 3D rendering. But it had the artist's name on there. And it was John Golob, or Golob, I think it's a German name, so I'm not sure how it's pronounced. Mm-hmm. So I was able to search that guy's name because all I saw was this little low-resolution artwork that was unusable for anything other than looking at, at yeah. it on the screen. Yeah. Um, so I actually found the guy on the internet and this was back in the MySpace days. And I had quite a few followers on MySpace. So I had friends that spoke all the different languages. So I, I reached out to one of my friends who spoke German and asked her, can you translate this paragraph into German for me? And then can you add at the bottom, if you if you, if you can speak English or if you know English, please reply in English. Right. So she did. So I sent that off to John and uh, he responded back to me with perfect English. And he was he was really, really fab, flabbergasted that I wanted to use that artwork for an album cover and um <laughs> cool the original artwork had two figurines um you know those were backs to set 
yeah. commercials where they had that wooden character. Yeah, the artist was, dummy. Yeah, yeah the artist yeah, model. That, <laughs> that was what the characters are are like on the on 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 the triangle art. Mm-hmm. And and one of them was like walking in a groove on the triangle, and the other guy I think was climbing a ladder or something. And I I needed a high resolution version of that to be able to use for printing. Mm-hmm. And so I said, yeah, like can, I was going to use it just as is because I liked it. Mm-hmm. But he asked if if I wanted any changes made to it. Oh, wow. I said, I'm like, well, I said, well, if you can maybe make the, one of the characters playing guitar. <laughs> so he did that. He, he, uh, he made it so that one guy's sitting kind of on the edge of the triangle and he's holding a guitar. Mm-hmm. He made it a six string though, not a seven string, Uh-oh. which I later, which I later photoshopped it into a seven <laughs> string. Um, and then he had the other guy, the other character, uh, figurine was like just sitting back with his arms up on the, on the edges, ledges there, and just kicking back and enjoying the guitar playing. So when he sent that back to me, uh, I was like, holy shit, this is freaking <laughs> awesome. So yeah, so he sent me the high-resolution res- artwork. He didn't charge me anything. It was all, uh, yeah. yeah, he just wanted to be part of it. And uh, yeah, I'm super proud of uh, of that album. So yeah, that's kind of how it came about. It was based on, based on optical illusions. I, I, that's what I kind of, and I'm probably going to be more on that theme with the next album for artwork, I have a, I have something that I doodled on paper about twelve years ago. Yeah, <laughs> a very chaotic looking thing. Uh, I'm not. I don't want to go into the two details, but no, it's no, a no. piece of artwork that I've been wanting to refine and work on for years. So I'm thinking I'm going to take that, and and that'll be the foundation for the album art. And and I'm not sure what the album's going to be called, but it's going to be in the theme of like organized chaos that concept of the mm-hmm. two opposites in the title, you know, like organization and chaos are the opposites. Yeah. But if you say organized chaos, that kind of terminology, so it wouldn't be exactly those words, but it'll probably be themed something like that. Yeah. I think I want to push the, the limits on this album a bit more. We had a few moments on the last album where it gets pretty, pretty crazy and technical and, and, and wild. And I think this next album is going to be taking some of the wildness and, and craziness craziness to maybe a little bit extra but then on the other side where it's going to be mellow and softer is going to be even more so than the last album so that this kind of music and this kind of vibe and and the people you're with like it seems like you should be in the center of winnipeg like in the middle of some club every day every night like with this energy and this sound but you instead you're out in woodridge and it's it's, you know, it's, it's far it's, it's away more, it's yeah. quiet it seems like a the kind of place where <laughs> somebody who's sick of all that would go, <laughs> you know, so it's kind of the, it, it has some interesting dynamic I, to that. I, I do like my, uh, my peace and quiet other than when I'm making noise. Yeah. Uh, and that's one of the things that, you know, when I moved out here about 20 some years ago, I was living in Steinbeck and I was living, you know, a street down from, from the Seven yeah. Eleven. So the Seven <laughs> Eleven is always a noisy People, yeah. kids burning out and yelling and fighting. Who knows what's going on? There's always mm-hmm. noise going on around Seven Eleven. Probably, probably ha- that way with every Seven Eleven. Until they started playing classical music out front, to <laughs> get people to stop hanging out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was a winner. So, so it was, they, they, there wasn't even an option really at my place in Steinbeck to sleep with the window open. Yeah, because of too much noise, right? Yeah. There yeah. always be tires squealing till three in the morning. Dogs yeah, so barking, people, everything. Yeah, noise. So. Yeah. So I was looking at uh, at selling my place in Steinbeck and getting. Well, it started with my 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 girlfriend at the time. Him, and our, her, and I were talking about. It'd be nice to get away to go to a cabin somewhere, just to get away. Yeah. Right. 
And then someone, I don't know who mentioned it. Maybe it was my mom or maybe it was a friend said, oh, why don't you just buy one? And I'm like, (laughs) wait, I didn't think of that. You know, not like buy an extra one, but like sell my house and buy like a cottage style home and do that and live that way. And like, I hadn't thought of that. Okay. So I started, I started looking at a couple places and then we, we came to look at this place here in Woodridge and it's all like you can see from the, from a picture, it's all like uh, tongue and groove pine like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I saw it from the inside, I was like almost instantly sold because I was just fell in love with, there's no drywall, Yeah. you know, yeah. it was just all this beautiful tongue and groove pine and, um, big open, uh, A-frame style, uh, area, which is like also nice. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but one of the things that probably sealed it for me, it was a Friday evening after work, which would normally be a very loud time yeah. at, at, by 7-Eleven. <laughs> and we were, all, we were all standing outside. It was myself, my girlfriend, and the agent. And there was a moment where no one was talking. And mm. the silence, the quietness, the calmness. It was deafening. Like you could have heard a pin drop on the, on the dirt. Like yeah. it was like... I'm sold. Like this is this is what I want. This is the, the kind of quietness I want. Now I'm in a situation where I'm contemplating maybe selling next year and moving closer to Grand Point because I work in Grand Point and it's a lot of traveling. Mm-hmm. But we'll see if there's new ventures coming up down the road. There, I might stick around here longer because mm-hmm. I do like it out here. But we'll see. Um, hey, let's talk. A, let's talk a bit about your uh, pedals and and getting into amp making. If you can just give me the Coles notes on that. Yeah, so uh, like I said earlier there, I sold a guitar to my friend Paul. We started talking about gear, and then he mentioned that I should look into getting a Rev amplifier. Okay. Um, and being that Rev was located just out of, just in Ildeshane at the time, just out of out of a little shop, um, I went down there with Paul and uh, hooked up an, an amp and checked it out and tried it out in person, and I was like, holy smokes this is awesome so i reached out to one of the owners derek and uh said i want to buy one and i so i went down there and met him in person uh i did like a cash i paid him cash here and there and as as i was as i had money i would give him a payment Mm -hmm. but each time i'd go down there physically give him the cash and we'd end up chatting yeah usually for a couple hours this is before rev is as big as it is now benefits of a small Uh, company you get to meet the owner and the uh the person who's actually hands-on yeah, and so he had the extra time that we could sit and chat for a couple hours. And mm-hmm. um, so we, we got along really well and always had good conversations. And um, uh, fast forward uh, maybe about a year after I bought my amp, the company's launched a pedal, the, uh, what I'm wearing here, the G3. Okay. Um, it is basically uh, the high-gain channel on our on our generator series amp put into a pedal format. Okay. So Dan, Dan Trudeau, who's the designer and the founder of Rev Amplific, Amplification, who later partnered with, with my, my boss, Derek Eastfold. Um, so Derek is more of the, the production and business end and marketing end side of things. And Dan is more of the, the designer and the builder and the brains behind the, the amps and, and pedals themselves. So in secret, he was working on a pedal version of the amp and he brought it to Derek one day and Derek's like, yes, we got to make this. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that, that's about when I got involved with the company because I'm watching this unfold on social media. Cause I'm friends with Derek and Dan and, 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 the, and the rev community. Um, and they launched this pedal and I messaged Derek and I said, do you need help building 
building these pedals. I saw an opportunity for myself to to get into this company right. or work work for them. And, and and from my perspective, being a guitar player, you know, to work for an, a guitar amplifier company is a pretty awesome thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so then I I just happened to be bringing my amp into the shop because it needed a service for something, and uh, that was right when Dan the designer was at the shop and he had one of the very early, Oh, I was at the shop when he brought in the actual prototype. Okay. Which wasn't even in a pedal. It was just like, uh, if you know what a circuit breadboard yeah, is, just a circuit board. It, yeah. Yeah. Just, it's this white thing with all these components just dangling on it. Like mm -hmm. it doesn't even look like, it looks like total man, total <laughs> uh, rat's nest. He brings this thing down there and to show, to show, uh, show Derek. And I just happened to be in the shop there at the time. And so, uh, that was pretty cool. And then about two weeks later, I was at the shop again, and Derek and Dan were both there again. And now Dan had one of the production circuit boards in his hand. They had gotten the circuit boards, and they were now producing the actual pedal. And I just said to Dan, I said, need help building those things? And he's like, <laughs> you got experience soldering? And I'm like, yep. So long story short, uh, the, I built a couple of them just to, uh, to do a test. Loved, loved my work, and then... I just slowly started building pedals for them in the beginning. Uh, so the first probably three or four thousand pedals that they shipped out there are built by me. Wow. Then COVID hit, and our company just blew up. Like it just exploded because so many people were stuck at home with nothing to do but look on the internet and look at guitar amplifier videos. <laughs> and yeah, we had a huge explosion in business and sales, and that's tapered down a bit now because the economy's really hurting and the, the musical industry musical instrument industry is really taking a hit right now but even with all that we're still doing we're still doing decent and uh we're getting the orders in and people are loving our product like we're now a global brand i wouldn't say we're a household name yet mm -hmm. but we've probably got about 20 percent of the of the people out there know who we are wow and that's always growing so it's pretty exciting i like it it gave me the opportunity to oh this is what i wanted to bring up earlier when we we're talking about influence and and, and uh uh all that stuff uh i got to go to nam which is the north american music manufacturers so it's a big giant annual event where all the companies come together and, and unveil their their brand new products for the year okay yeah nam's happening in in january and uh where's that at that happens in anaheim california okay and so it's a big very expensive event for everybody involved um, in 2020, I got the opportunity to go with Rev for my first ever uh, going to NAM, and so that was a, a whole fun experience. But for me, mostly what I took away from that was get off my ass. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many amazingly talented music yeah. or uh, guitar players there, and just got to hang, hang out with so many um, like dedicated and talented people. It just changed changed my perspective on a lot of things, and it took that. And I got home. The first thing I did was, uh, I found a used Mac on the on the on the marketplace. Paid four hundred dollars for this little Mac Mini computer, mm -hmm. which allowed me to create the music that I wanted. It didn't allow me to do everything I wanted to do on that computer. It was it was kind of not quite the computer I wanted. I was hoping yeah. to get a six, 16 gigabyte Mac and I only could only one that came up on the market was an eight gig, but as I wasn't going to wait forever, I wanted to get making music. Mm -hmm. So it got me through it all. But, um, yeah, Nam was such a, an, in, like 
lit, lit the fire under my butt to to finally make some music and so that's where it started now now very similar scenarios happening again where i just got a new mac yeah. much more powerful machine that can do everything wants so it's it, the, the, i don't have to fight technology i'm not fighting with a slow computer or, yeah. or, or or can't use certain software because i don't have the right machine to to run the software i want so i'm not fighting any technology now i can literally just turn on my computer fire up the programs i want and i can start creating whatever it is i want Is your podcast working for you or are you working for your podcast? It's not easy finding the time to turn your ideas into great content. And right now, Streamer's got more podcasts than I believe I've ever seen. But if you're different and want to stack the deck in your favor, we can get your production on track and help you to find your audience. The good folks at Rodeo Road Studios will help you particularize, synthesize, and optimize your podcast broadcast. Get your show on the road by visiting rodeoroad.ca. Rodeo Road Studios. Hang on to your hat. How do you want to wind this up? <laughs> let's give them a let's give them a piece of that. Uh... What's this shards of glass? Okay, so this is a very old song I wrote for my first album, but it was way too heavy. <laughs> And way to uh, it didn't it did not fit the vibe of that album, so it got shelved. It was an idea that got shelved about you know whatever 20 years ago. And uh, when I was working on my last album a couple years ago, it got I got to a point where I started going through some old files and listening to what I had, and I, and I rediscovered the song "Shards of Glass," and I'm like, oh man! I said I got to include this on the album because I was probably both two-thirds of the way into the album working with Derek and Aaron and just knowing what they can bring to the table yeah and listening to that song with with that mindset of just oh man Derek's gonna have fun with this and I wrote the song initially when I was in a bad mood I was angry so <laughs> to me it's always an angry song it doesn't necessarily come across that way to listeners but to me, it'll always be like, I wrote it when I was angry. So this is probably one of my favorites on the album. It comes right, it's, I think it's a song 10 on the, on the album. And it comes after an interlude that Paul wrote and created for the album, which is just piano, uh, uh, piano, cello, and acoustic as well. But it's a piece that he wrote himself. I had nothing to do with it. Okay. He, was inspired, he was inspired by one of the melody lines in one of my other songs that he added piano to. And he was inspired to create this interlude. And realist, really, when you listen to the whole album as a as as a one thing, like you sit down and listen to it all, mm -hmm. that interlude is so powerful. 
because it, it it takes a break from a very busy album. A lot is going on by the time you get to that interlude, yeah. and it just it cleanses your palate. It's like it's this calming piece. There's even a four second pause in the middle of the song that is so, <laughs> that is actually perfect. Yeah. What's rusted to perfection all about? Oh, that is uh, one of the songs where I don't actually just shred from start to finish. I, <laughs> I, I let the rhythms breathe, and it's, it's, it definitely builds the mood. And there's like essentially two sections of the song where I have a, a lead. Okay. And this is the this is the second lead. And what I like about this, when you listen to it, Aaron on on bass is actually copying what I'm playing on the lead guitar. Incredible because I'm doing a bunch of tapping licks on the guitar, and he's tapping the same thing on the bass and mimicking like what I'm playing on the bass. And it's like he does that in a, in a, in a couple of moments throughout the album, and it's, it just it, it just sounds so incredible. So that's why I chose I chose this section of the song because I wanted you to hear, or I wanted people to hear how how Aaron was able to basically copy what I'm playing on on lead, and I was and it totally was unexpected. I I, I was not expecting that to happen. That's wild. Escaping reality, which is also a name of another song you've given me here. Um, yes, what's, this what's... is uh, that was the first song that we actually that the, that Derek put drums to, and the first song that Aaron put bass to. So that was like the inaugural. That was like the the very first working together, basically the three of us. Reality is one of those songs where this section I, that I chose for for you was probably one of the most difficult sections for me to write because there's a really nice melody line there that I love it so much it's one of my favorites. But to find that that melody, it took hours of me cursing and <laughs> I, would hit, I would hit record and then I would play something. Yeah. I know I hate that. Hate that. Rewind. Hit record. Play something different. Rewind. Or try something. Or and then, and then work on it to a point where okay it's done and then let's do it no I hate it now try something different so then all of a sudden I hit record and that melody almost as you hear it was how it came out and I just had to refine a few notes but I was like okay <laughs> I found I found I found the melody that that works it's hard to really showcase or really give people an example of of the album with just a few clips mm-hmm. it, it is really a musical journey that if you are the type of person that likes to put on a record and pour yourself a glass of wine or or have a, a hoot and kick back and just listen and take in music, yeah, that that would be a, that is where I'm jealous to anybody who has that experience with our music because I will never have that experience <laughs> as I as I know the insides and outsides of how this music was created and all I will never get the, the experience of hearing it for the first time with not ever hearing it before, right? Yeah. So that is the one aspect I think I love the most about sharing my music with others 
is the feedback I get back. It's like you enjoyed their enjoyment. Of what their experiences was. And I love hearing different feedback on what, what, where the music takes them. Because again, getting back to earlier in the, in the, in the podcast, music, instrumental music could be interpreted in to the individual differently than everybody else. So Mm -hmm. while music with lyrics will have everybody thinking about a certain topic and ultimately kind of thinking about the same thing with there's no lyrics, the mind goes wherever the music takes you. Yeah. And that's what I love about it, uh, about sharing the music with others is their perception of it. Hey folks, just a reminder, our email is howdy at rodeoroadstudios.ca or you can use the contact form at rodeoroad.ca. You can visit us on social media, just search for the Manitobaville moniker and we appreciate every like, share and comment that you care to make and visit our YouTube page, Rodeo Road Studios and when you watch that video, please hit the subscribe button. Thank you so much. All right, a big thank you to Scott Craker for coming on all the way from Woodridge, doing what he loves down there, playing the music he loves to play with the people he loves playing it with, living the dream, being a Manitoban. We'd like to thank Scott for the use of 5x5, shards of glass, rusted to perfection, escaping reality and the timelessness of time. And you can find Scott everywhere. Facebook, look up Scott Craker, K-R-O-E-K-E-R. You'll find him on Facebook, on YouTube, all over the place. And you can check out his previous work, look at a lot of the sample tunes he has up. It's pretty amazing stuff. All right, so this is my angel. Signing off for this episode of Manitobaville, the podcast. Manitobaville, the podcast is a production of Rodeo Road Studios Limited. Copyright 2024.